0: We're continuing where we left off. It is October fourth, two thousand twenty, and we're going to continue with the thought of the week and prayer.
1: When were we created in Christ Jesus? All answers. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Even though we can talk about a birthday and how old we are now, we have another beginning in the mind and purpose of God. Before the creation of the universe, God thought about us in a very special way. The record is that He chose us to be in Christ. Being chosen does does speak of the of His specifically but it does not relate to any talent or power within us. For whatever we are called to do, God equips us. Our children speak for God's purpose. The fact that we are reading these words right now says that there is so much more to us than salvation from Adam's fall. Once we are redeemed, the quest of our life should be to pur- to pursue God's eternal purpose. The apostle said it best, but I press on to take hold, therefore, oh I'm sorry. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Unfortunately, many will only see that God's entire purpose was to save them. Therefore, that becomes the highest objective in life, to work worthy of, of your calling. It's personally fulfilling to become, because we are doing the very thing we are created in Christ to do. It sits us like a glove over our hand. Our steps can be filled with the importance of His purpose, and our present reflects His ongoing, in fact, in the world here and now. Uh, I think we all know who are studying the word that when he chose us. He chose us before he chose us to pass, that He knew we were going to be believing in Christ. So when it said that for in Christ Jesus we were created. Once we believe in Christ, we are in Christ. So, uh, of course to Bill right now, even though we think we could talk about our birthday and how old you are, the question to Bill, Bill, how old are you, Bill? Even if we know Bill don't want to discuss that, but it is what it is. So I like what the apostle Paul he said. He said he pressed he pressed on to take call but that was Christ to call him. So so we have this objective in our minds that we are in Christ, that we are God's worship, created in Christ Jesus to do good, good works that will God prepare in the for us to do. So while we're in Christ, we, we will do good works. Sometimes we won't, sometimes we will. So this is what I get from the thought of the week passage. So it's time to we have the us to prayer. Thank you
2: very much, Dave. Of course, I will keep everybody's family, immediate family, extended families, in prayer, the church worldwide, as well as Word of Truth Church. So in addition to those things, are there any special requests? All right, then. Um, God knows what's in our hearts and on our minds, so... Um, let us all take our request to God, knowing that he cares about us. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for all of the privileges that you have given us in the second chances over and over again to continue to live our lives worthy of the calling that we have received. Thank you for choosing us in the very beginning before creation. What a, what a marvelous plan and what a marvelous the statue we have, and to be seen as Christ is just beyond belief. But let us not um, let us not become proud of these things, but let us remain humble, and let us humbly let, allow you to work through our lives. And I want to pray for all of us on this call that our eyes might be open to the truth that you have to give us through the Holy Spirit whose job is to guide us into all truth. We ask you also to keep us mindful of our immediate families and extended families. The the care that is required to live in this world just to survive sometimes is overwhelming. And um, we have a lot of compassion for others and help us to um, see things from your perspective knowing that you have warned us plenty of times that we will have trouble in this world. We also pray for the church worldwide, um, that there are believers all over this world that have come to salvation, have received your spirit freely, given so that we can understand spiritual things taught. And we pray that everybody would have a chance and opportunity to grow thereby in your word and in your truth. And we also pray for people who are, who are sick or in, in danger from either natural disasters or man-made persecution. We ask that you would um, offer protection for them so that they can continue working peacefully to your end, to the plan that you created uh, for us to bring all brothers and sisters into glory. And in Jesus Christ's
0: name, I pray. Amen. Thank you, Dwight and Dave. <coughs> Much appreciated. And we're going to pick up where we left off last week. We are in verse 4 today. John 15, 4. It reads, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. <clears throat> Hopefully you have your notes in front of you. And in your notes, I cannot tell you how many sermons I have heard on this verse. There is certainly a, This verse certainly uh, stands out and is taught frequently, and rightfully so. God has expectations of us to grow and to begin to bear fruit in this world. However, <clears throat> it is not just any fruit. It is according to what the Father wants. We must pay close attention to this, or else we will produce thorns and thistles, which God will reject, Hebrews 6.8. It is not up to us to define what fruit we will bear. It is up to the Father. The question needs to be asked, what kind of fruit does the Father want? To answer this question, may I suggest the solution will be found in the context? So this is where we want to begin. We're going to try to look at this to see and determine what is going to be uh, meant by uh, some of the words and phrases. And we'll start with the one phrase. we got a lot to cover, uh, and so we'll, we'll dig in. Remain in me as I also remain in you. So the first thought is just to get the word out there, Mendo. And it is uh, from strong. This is a verb, and uh, to stay in a given place, state, relation, or expectancy. Abide, continue, dwell, endure, be present, remain, stand, tarry. So these are all words that uh, we could use to translate the word minna. And um, I think our verse, or the NIV folks, have chosen to use the word "remain." Or I know there's King James is used, it says, abide in me. So it's the same thing. I just want to point that out, that at least we have the Greek of this important word and and what it means. So let's get, let's dig in a little bit more. It says, is this verse positional or experiential? That's a question. So, uh, why do we say that? Because if we say, remain in me, and, and I also remain in you. Well, in 14, we read some things about how on that day you will know that I am in the Father, you are in me, and I am in you. So, is that verse, ex- this verse about fruit bearing, is it uh, positional or is it experiential? Now, we determined that those verses are positional in John 14 to some degree. In other words, every church-age believer is, has been baptized by the Holy Spirit. And we'll get into all this in the notes, but I'm just saying. So it doesn't matter who you are. Like in 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen, it says that uh, by one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. All of us, not some of us. All of us. That is positional. So just to get to this point B here in our notes, is the verse positional or experiential? It is experiential. So the subject is not salvation or our position in Christ. It is about fruit bearing. So that will depend on what we do as believers in this age. Now, John fifteen eight. if we look at that, it says... This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit. Notice, it didn't say that you'd be saved, that you are seated in heavenly places in Christ, or that you are baptized by the Spirit. and, and All of that is a given. That's a, understood that we are talking about a time when all of that has already taken place. We are baptized. This is post-Pentecost, as we will get to. So, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So, he was talking to the disciples about bearing fruit. Now, remember, it wouldn't be long before Pentecost came. Probably a matter of about 50 days, 55. at, at the. No, it wasn't even 55 days. Maybe 53 days, to be more exact. Because Christ was in the tomb for three days. And then it was 50 days from Passover to um, Pentecost. So, maybe I'm not good at math, but either way, it was very soon to come, uh, Pentecost was. So, we ask, is it positional or experiential? And the purpose stated in verse 8 is that you bear much fruit. That seems to be key. Notice it doesn't have to do with all of those positional things we just mentioned. So in point C, the baptism of the Spirit is positional and places everyone in the body of Christ. I just quoted 1 Corinthians 12, 13, which says, By one Spirit were we all baptized into one body, and that's Christ. So then it's also Romans 8, 1. I will quote. As there is, I'm going to turn to Romans. Uh, and we already know what uh, 8, 1 is. We could quote that probably right off the top of our heads, but it says, "Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus." That's a positional verse, right? We're not condemned if we do things that are wrong, or, uh, or, I mean, those condemnation is completely not true of us if we are in Christ, and the reason it's not true of us because Christ is not condemned. He is accepted. He is uh, approved as righteous before the Father. So, there is no condemnation in Christ. So, if we're in Christ, then we share all that our federal head, Christ, has and is. So, uh, and then there's a um, couple other verses that we could talk about positionally. And that would be verses 29 and 30. 29 and 30 says... For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So there are no exceptions to this. Right? It didn't say some were predestined, but they are not called some were justified but they are not glorified the, everyone here receives the same thing because we're talking about positional sanctification positional justification all of those things are positional in nature also if you go and scroll down and we got a couple verses at the end of the chapter where it says we could start at verse 36 from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That's a positional verse. The reason why all of those things are true of us is not because we uh, refrain from this and stop that and because we are... No, it's all about because of our position in Christ. None of those things can touch us. So when we talk about what is positional, what is experiential, experiential we're bearing fruit well how do we bear fruit well i'm going to give you this analogy about your branch and how you have to remain in the vine right now earlier last week we had this uh, verse three where it talked about uh, for you are clean for you are all clean uh, because of the word i have spoken to you and we took a look at that and we understood that clean meant that these people were saved In fact, Judas was called out. And the reason why he was called out, because he did not believe in Christ. He didn't put his trust in Christ like the others did. So the difference, when Jesus said, well, you're not all clean. But then Judas left after he betrayed, he went to go betray Christ. And the others were there. And Christ says now, you are all clean. And Judas had left the group. So... We, we can easily say that clean is equal to salvation, but there was more, as we learned from last week, with anticipation of this new age that is dawning upon us. So we're going to move forward. and uh, Oh, actually, then there was a couple other scriptures that I didn't cover in point C. That would be 2 Corinthians 5.17, which says, If any man, if any person... Is in Christ. He is a new creation. Old things are gone. New things have come. So, that's positional as well, right? This is not if anybody is in Christ. You know. So I don't want you to be confused with the terms in Him and abide, remain in Him, and He will also remain in us. And we will talk about what that means. But it is not a matter of positional. Uh, It is a matter of experiential. And it bears on our volition as well. So here, uh, another positional passage is Ephesians 2, 6 and 7. I'll go ahead and read that. Ephesians 2, 6 and 7. So it says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. That's for everybody. That's not some people who reach maturity or, or some particular spiritual uh, level of growth. This is for every single person in Christ, in the church age, what God has done for us. He raised us up, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So this is what God has done. And what he will do in us. It's not what we have done. It's not uh, the volitional choices that we have made. And now God will reward us for them. This is grace. Because of our belief in Christ. This is the calling. He chose us in him before the creation of the world. For this. So this is how we have to see it. Point D. Remaining or abiding in Christ. Is Optional. Right? So we, people hate for me to say such a thing. They think I'm encouraging bad behavior. And it's not the truth at all. I mean, they, what are we afraid of? Are we trying to police people or make them uh, obedient by, you know, uh, uh, scaring them into some obedience? When we do obey, we have to obey for the proper reasons. It can't just be, well, obedience for obedience' sake or like we're getting ready to get into Christmas that we be good for goodness sake we we have to obey our obedience comes with a method of heart right what what is in our heart if we love that's the obedience that we should be shooting for the obedience that comes from love and we defined love in great detail and we may still have to talk about it some more to say um, is optional is not to encourage that we uh, don't abide or remain in Christ. We do. We should. Right. This is I'm saying we should remain, and so it has consequences. If we, when I say it's optional, there are consequences, and the consequences are spelled out in the chapter. Well, and. I remember we read, uh, let me go back to John. So 15.2 says, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it would be even more fruitful. So there are consequences on both sides. Well, if you don't abide in him, this is what will happen. If you do abide in him, this is what will happen, see So these are not positional, these are experiential, in time, in the world, consequences that come to bear. So just to know, and so two, and then three also, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So this is not about salvation, this is about fruit bearing. Just keep that in mind. and I have to keep saying this over and over because, uh, like I said in the opening, I can't tell you how many sermons I have heard on this passage. And how many times people have taken the liberty uh, of trying to make this about salvation. And it is not about salvation. It is about your experience in the Christian life. How you can be productive for God in this world. So, continuing in our notes, that was point. D, point E, we should know that it is not God's will for us to not abide in Christ, but it is possible. Uh, I have to, hopefully, we won't continue to talk about these negative scriptures, but we're getting ready to go into, well, if we don't, if we don't, if we don't, we have to talk about what are the consequences. So I will throw out 1 Corinthians, and these are, we'll go quickly, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. And and the reason we want to at least stress this is because I just said, it was optional. Right? It's optional for you to abide or not to abide. Three, one, through three brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, merely infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food. for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? And then he goes into what it is uh, they are fussing about. One of you says, uh, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, right? So, So these people were involved in allowing their sinful, fleshly natures to take over their lives, and even though they were babes in Christ, right? Mere infants in Christ. So they were in Christ, but all this was going on. So it's possible to be in Christ, saved, but your experience is not too good. So and then there's eleven twenty-seven through 32, which we read in the Q&A session, 1 Corinthians 11, and I might as well read it here. <clears throat> 27, so whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. This is why many among you, this is what happens when people do this, Uh, they are weak, this is what happens, they, and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep, that's physical death, these are obviously more intensive uh, forms of discipline that God gives, I don't have to say that, let, let God say it, but verse 31, but if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, in other words, we're careful when we showed up to the communion table, we didn't want to eat up all the food, we would not come under such judgment. Because right? we didn't care about the, that this is representative of the body and blood of Christ. And now we show up and we just clumsily you know, eat up all the food. And people come and they want to take the Lord's Supper. But there is no more supper left because you ate it up. Which is bad. Right? So nevertheless, verse 32. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way. This is good to know because we need to understand what might happen. By the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not finally be condemned. We will, we will, be finally, will not be finally condemned with the world. We better get that last part right because it's important. We will not be finally condemned with the world. We will not. I've read that one time with this person, and they were like, yeah, you'll be condemned with the world. I said, no, the verse says you will not be condemned with the world. Yeah, you will be condemned. I said, no, it says you will not be condemned with the world. So so then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home first, so that when they meet together, it may not result in you eating up all the food So, and, and, and judgment. And when I come, I will give further instructions. So this is, these are scriptures where the person has totally blown it. Right? God had to discipline. Now, you know, he did discipline by death, Ananias and Sapphira, right? These are people who were believers in Acts and they lied to God and to Peter to try to gain some sort of status in the church and, you know, get, get name recognition God disciplined them with death. He he took them both out. And that was, uh, this is an option for God, but it doesn't mean that Ananias and Sapphira will be condemned with the world, right? They still are believers. So what happened to them? They were absent from the body, present with the Lord. That's what the status was. And they're going to be, uh, we're going to see them again. Now, of course, they won't be rewarded for works of service when they get to the judgment seat of Christ because obviously they had to be disciplined with death sleep some have fallen asleep but it says already a number of you so this is not to say I might do this he's saying I have done this already this is why a number of you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep so we gotta make sure we understand that that is possible it's not what we want to happen. We don't want to encourage people to do this. That would not be right. But we have to acknowledge that it is possible for this to happen. I mean, don't be religious on me now. Let's read what the scripture says, and that's how we want to order our lives. Hebrews chapter 5 is the last, 11 through 14. Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. I just get. It's possible. So here, 11, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk and not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So notice, it talks about levels of growth. And these people, even though they should be teaching now in, in a position where they are able to give a reason for the hope that is within them, They need somebody to go back and teach them milk again. They need milk all over. They were babies. They didn't grow. They didn't progress as what God considers as normal progression in the spiritual life. That happens. It's possible. Don't run from this, but just know that it's possible. Run from being in this position. You don't want to get to the place where this is true of you. That you were a baby like the Corinthians were. Uh, when you should be grown, then you, you should naturally grow up in Christ, right? This is what you want to do. So, let's continue in our notes. And hopefully we don't have to keep revisiting the, these principles that we know are true. These people are saved and say they were lost. What does it say in one? They need to move on to maturity. That's what they need. Uh, so, point F Let's look at this. Remain in me and I, as I also remain in you. So F says uh, there is a reciprocal relationship with our choosing to remain in him. Something happens when we choose to do that. He remains in us. Now I'm just looking at the surface of this verse still. This is what the verse says. If we choose to remain in him, he remains in us. Here Jesus is speaking to the dynamics of the new spiritual life of the believer who is post- Pentecost. And why do we say this? Because even though the disciples are here and Jesus is talking to them, 50 some days later, whatever it is, 50 days after Passover, Pentecost would come. And that's when the Holy Spirit would also come on the scene. So it it is, you know, a a part of our understanding that all of these things about bearing fruit are for this period from Pentecost to the Rapture. That's that's when they will be able to perform these good works. Uh, the disciples had uh, things that they needed to follow. In the interim, for sure, there was a, there were certainly instructions that they needed to adhere to, but. This bearing fruit has to do with post-Pentecost spiritual dynamics. It is not uh, what happened as Israel. So when they were bearing fruit, they were not going to be bearing fruit for Israel. It is for the church. So just to note that that one point. Point G. So we should say, what is ex- what is involved in the phrase... And here is that phrase where we're at, remain in me as I also remain in you. So we're going to go through a series of these points just to talk about what is involved in this. What is, how, how do we understand that, is what I'm saying. Right? Remain in me as I also remain in you. What does that mean? And we need to ask ourselves that question when you know, we have these commands. Like, How, does that, how do we follow that exactly? Like What does that mean? So we look in the context to determine, right? and that's the first point. In the context, Jesus reveals a new spiritual dynamic that was to come when the spirit of truth arrives. So I'm just going to go back to John chapter 14. Yeah, we loved John 14. It, we got a lot of uh, information and we spent some good time and learned a lot of spiritual dynamics about the church age, this new age to come, and Jesus introduced it. So this is, the first thought is in John fourteen nine through 11, Jesus says, uh, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I speak on my own. I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing the work. So Jesus is beginning to tell the disciples about this new spiritual dynamic. Now, that is the church age. Now, we, we already have gone through this. And for Jesus to be speaking to the disciples in this manner means he's already been telling them about it. However, they haven't been hearing him. They have not been trusting. And of course, according to the verses here, they haven't been believing what he said. He was saying these things, but again, there was no theological books or rabbis that they could have turned to to say, hey, what about this? Is this true? But in the other, on the other side of it, Jesus had demonstrated that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God, in many ways, through signs and wonders and miracles. And they could not you know, say that, hey, this man uh, has not performed the works necessary for us to put our trust in him. We know this man is telling us the truth. And that is, in fact, what Jesus said in verse 11. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is me, in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Right? You, if, if you have to go there, then go there. Right? Say, well, wait a minute. Logically speaking, this man cannot do all these things. God has to be with him. So he, this is logically speaking. So and then there's uh, 16 and 17 where Jesus says, and I will ask the Father, he will give you another advocate to help you to be with you forever. The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because he, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and he will be in you. So what are we doing here? Reading the context that leads up to John 15, right? This helps us understand what's going on here. So, and then, then there's a 19 through 23 where he says, before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live on that day. You will realize I am in the father. You are in me, and I am in you. Now he turns that whole dynamic relationship to us. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Verse 23, anyone who loves me... Will be loved. well I'm sorry. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them, and make our home with them. So this is clear that we are anticipating on that day when it comes. World will not see me anymore. Spirit of truth, right? We get all that, and this is where. And then verses uh, 25 and 26, just to get the context. All this I have spoken to you while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. He continues on with peace I leave with you and so forth. Some rich verses there in the context. right? For us to say that Jesus revealed something brand new, something never before seen. The disciples were grappling with it having a hard time trying to really come to grips with, really, this is going to happen? Really? So, and and it took some time, and some, I would say Jesus was really pressing upon them to believe the words that he said. He was preparing them for what was to come. Point number two in our notes. God has expectations for this new age to come from us. That is, fruit bearing. And this is we're go go back to John fifteen. So remember this is we're trying to understand what does it mean by remain in me and I will also remain in you. So we know that God has in this point is expectations. Fifteen one and two, which we read already about the branches, right? The father's the gardener, he cuts off every branch in me, it bears no fruit. And the ones that do bear fruit, he prunes so that they will even be more <coughs> fruitful. So this is clear in these verses that uh, God has a, a, a plan for us in this new age. And he, he has expectations. And also in Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, 12 talks about finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. You know, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. Right? So there is an expectation of us in this age. God wants us to do works that uh, he will produce through us. Now, it's not us who do the works. It is we are uh, the branch, remember? So it's through us. So point number three, remaining in Christ is the way to bear fruit. That's obvious from just a a surface reading. But if we do not remain in Christ, no fruit will be born. But there are consequences, right? So just so we know, verses four through six are dealing with consequences. I will read four through six. Remain in me, and I also will remain in you. Right. No branch can bear fruit by itself it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Notice that there's consequences on both sides. 6. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. It doesn't mean you lose your salvation. It means you know, like we talked about before, he will remove you from death. And what happens with a dry branch, he's saying, is good for nothing. It's like thorns and thistles. It's like wood, hay, and straw. It will be judged. That's what God is saying. So notice there are consequences on each side to what remaining in him will do, what not remaining in him will do. Verse uh, point number four. Here is the reciprocal nature of remaining in, in him. Verse four compared to verse seven. So verse four, the beginning part of it says, if you remain in me, I'm sorry, verse four says, remain in me as I also remain in you. Verse seven says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. Notice there's more explanation about what it means for you to remain in him and well first it's used the same words for remain but it does tell us something about what it means for I also remain in you what is I also remain in you verse 7 and my words remain in you so it's it's not just uh, you know I remain in Him, we're going to say what that means in a minute, but Christ indwells us or something. His words have to remain in us. Now how can his words? That has to do with our volition, because we've got to learn the words, right? And obviously with the help of God the Holy Spirit. He's the one who enlightens us to the words. None of this is without God the Holy Spirit. Let me just state that. I and mean, we we already read that when the Spirit comes, when the Spirit comes. Now that we have the Spirit, all this is in play. Remain in Him and, and He will remain in us. Well, what does that mean? It means my words remain in you. So the words remaining in you means you now have those words in your heart. You guard them. You protect them. They are precious to you. And that's what... We, With the thought that you will obey them, the words are in your heart, right? So that's just the reciprocal nature of this. When we talk about it, it is verses 4 says the same words, but it adds some difference in verse 7, which gives us a hint about how we ought to interpret uh, what it means for Christ to remain in us. It means that his words will remain in us. So point number four, remaining in Christ is equal to his words remaining in us, which is also equal to remaining in his love. Okay. Verse nine. So verse nine says, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. So now we get, we get, Something about what it means for us to remain. Right? So we, we looked at the second half of the verse where it says, "And I, and if I'm in remaining in you, what will happen?" Now we're looking at the remain part. This is what we have to do, and Christ is illustrating that in verse nine when He's saying that as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now, remain in my love. That is what it means to abide or remain in him. It is remaining in his love. Now, when I read those verses in John chapter 14, and I emphasized love, 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 then now you can see why love is important because to abide in him or remain in him means we love him. And what does it mean if we do that? His words will remain in us, which means we will be obedient to Him. Well, We'll we'll say more about it, but I'm allowing the context to unravel what abiding and remaining are. That's what we need to do. We don't want to just come up with, well, abiding means, remaining means, or uh, Him remaining in us means... Right, we're we're going to say, allow the scripture to interpret itself in this regard. How we do it by looking at the context. So that was point number five, right? And then point number six, following Christ's example of love in the context, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. Now, there's several verses that illustrate what that means so so verse 10 right says if you keep my commands look at this you will remain in my love just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love so notice he's escalating this to help us understand what it means for us to remain in his love all right so Jesus gives examples of this. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. So we can know what this is because Jesus is saying, it's in the same way, excuse me, it's in the same way as I have remained in the Father's love by keeping his commands. So keeping his commands is equal to this is point number six, remaining in his love. Right? That's what it's equivalent to. Keeping his commands is equivalent to remaining in his love. That's what it says in verse 10. If you can keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. That's verse 10. So, verse uh, point number Seven, following Christ's example of love in the context, just as I have kept my Father's command and remain in his love. So so, uh, before we go to some of the other verses like 14, uh, 15, and 31, just note we have a perfect example here to understand this. So let's look at 15 where we have the command, if you love me, Keep my commands. See, that goes together. If you love me, keep my commands. That thought is going to be illustrated for us in John chapter 15 through the abiding and or remaining in him and all that. So, But in verse 31, we have Christ's example. He says, but, but he comes so that the world must learn or may learn, here it is, that I love the Father and do exactly what my father has commanded me. So when we get these words about him commanding us and you know he does what we are obedient to the commands because we love him then that is to say that love is the motivating factor here. And what do we what do we love? We are loving to do the father's will. And that that reflects on doing the father's plan so the father has given us a plan right he, he gave Christ uh, a plan when he was here on earth he had uh, works that the father wanted him to accomplish and those works were important because we have salvation based on the fact that of Christ's work on our behalf so it is about that love right so that's 1415 right it talks about that if we have this love we can have it and it will pay dividends and the dividends that I say they will pay will have to do with uh, the, the work hold on I'm hearing some background noise stand by so, so the dividends are paid and the fruit that will be produced through us that is important right For us to, that's the expectation that God has. So that was point number seven. Point number eight says the conclusion. What is the conclusion here of all of this? Love is the motivation needed to bear fruit. So just to cut through the chase. He could say, abide in me and I'll abide in you. And if you do, you will bear much fruit. Well, as we read through those verses, and you can read through them on your own in John 15, right? the context, it kind of explains that is about love. And the same thing we have discussed in John chapter 15 about love. How it, and Christ says, here's my example. Here's what I'm talking about. Look at my example. We looked at Christ's example. And we saw that his love for the Father's plan, right? That Father's plan for his life w- was important to Christ. And he loved it. So he wanted to demonstrate that he loved it by doing exactly as the Father had commanded him that's what the kind of love that we're talking about is the motivation to for you now to love the father's plan. If you do that, if you love the father's plan, then you're going to be obedient to it to the letter. That's what it's saying. That's the example and that's how you can bear fruit. That's that's the conclusion, right? Love is the motivation needed to bear fruit. So then two ways Love is is expressed. One, love is a motivation. Or love as the motivation needed to bear fruit, right? So so that's important. Love as the motivation or the commitment and obedience to the Father's unique plan as revealed through Jesus. So that's what we all saw in 14. This new plan. And so it's motivation it's commitment right giving yourself to it committing your life to it obedience right which is i'm going if, if that's what the father's plan is i'm going to follow it to the letter i'm going christ didn't die for some sins he was judged for all sins he was the lamb brought to the shears right and he was bruised for our iniquities. It pleased the Father to bruise him and to cause him to suffer. Christ suffered on our behalf. Right? He paid. He did his job to the letter. And then the Father said he was satisfied with the work of Christ. And we call that propitiation. It means he, means what, whatever Christ did, was it acceptable? It's not acceptable. It's not for us to say. It's for the Father to say. The Father said he was pleased with the work of Christ. In fact, 1 John 2.2, 2, he is a propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. So that's one way our love is expressed. is that motivation for the Father's plan. And then two, loving each other. This was the command that he gave us in uh verses 12 through 14 right this is right in the chapter of 15 my command is this love each other as i have loved you greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for his friends you are my friends if you do what i command so these are this is clear and then uh, chapter 13 we're going to go all the way back to chapter 13 because this was part of the context as well chapter 13 verses 12 through 17 uh, let's take a look at this when he had finished washing their feet now and remember this is the story Well, jesus came and said i'm gonna uh, he put on a towel uh, you know he, he took the position of a servant and he came to wash the disciples feet one by one he got to peter peter said hold on you're the Lord. There's no reason for you to be washing my feet. And Jesus says, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Peter was like, Okay, give me, every, wash everything. I want to have a part with you. He says, you, If you're clean, you don't need to have everything washed, just your feet. And he says, And you are clean. And then he, he mentions in verse 10, Not every one of you. And though not every one of you, he's talking about Judas as it says in verse 11. So, verse 12, here we are. So when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, returned to his place, and this is what he says. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Now, this, these last couple phrases here are very important, and that's why Jesus says, "Very truly I say to you." Now, in the King James, it would be, "Verily, verily I say unto you," right? But here he's. This is how it's translated. In other words, sit up, pay attention, right? Lean forward. Very truly I say to you, no servant is greater than his master, nor, here's the most important part here, because he is addressing what Peter said, you're the teacher, and Lord, how can I do this for you, right? So, uh, submit to being, you know, having my feet washed. But notice this, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Who sent Christ? The Father. Christ was orienting them to the Father right here in the washing of the feet and how they ought to receive him. Christ is a messenger. Remember, through the the analogy, Christ is the vine. He's not the the gardener. The Father's the gardener. Christ is the vine. And it is through him that we are the branch. And it is through us that the fruit is born. But the fruit comes from the Father. And Christ is careful to say, all, even in John 16, where he says, i got much more to tell you, more than you can now bear. But he's, he says later in those verses, I want you to know that everything I have received, I have received from the Father. And I've made it known. That is why I have made it known to you. Christ is, you know, the, the vine in this relationship. But the Father is the one who has the plan that we are to love, to come to love. So in these verses, I mean, you might say, well, what is this? I mean, uh, Jesus is saying this. Is You can almost miss it, what he's saying here. But it is important. So he says in verse uh, 17, Now that you know these things... You will be blessed if you do them it's important right that we honor one another most important remember the disciples were going to be the foundation of the church the church is built on the foundation of christ jesus as the cornerstone with the apostles and prophets as well as the foundation that's ephesians two twenty. so it's important that we see that this foundation is is viable that that it continues, that it is important that there is a cohesiveness to it as they grow in grace and, and begin to teach these doctrines that have not been teach, taught before. So it is important that they see and they all be on the same page. That's what this unity was about, is serving one another and recognizing about who, what the plan was. So, so that was, and then there's, uh, yeah, so that's unique about love. those two ways to see it. And those are two ways that he commanded both uh, the, I mean, uh, the disciples to do, to not just one, but both of them were important for the church to continue. So point H in this, moving forward, allow the context to speak. To you regarding the definition of terms used. Stand by. <clears throat> so, what's important when we think about what the context says, we are being true and honest with the Word of God, we are allowing God to tell us what He means. Especially in the context by what does it mean to remain in Christ? What does it mean for Christ to remain in us? All those things are answered and we will get into those verses in greater detail as we go forward. But I just wanted to give you an outline of what those terms are actually uh, referring to. So we'll get to them in more detail, but that there's your, your broad outline. So let's keep going. So no branch, so, so let's, the whole verse again, remain in me as I also remain in you. Our time, is it me or is the time gone that quick? Wow. So, so we probably will just look at a point here. We're going to pick up next week. But so we're, we're in point number two, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. So, so the metaphor is true in nature. It is also true for us to bear fruit in Christ. Now, <clears throat> I bought I, this is the flower analogy where I bought these uh, flowers early on, way back when the you know the spring and I think it was toward the end of spring. I brought these flowers for the back porch. Two baskets of flowers that hang. So they flourished for quite a while, but then it seemed like they were dead and and they were dying. And then when I evaluated them, they were literally nothing to them, but some withered up branches. There were still a few green spots, but no flowers, flowers were not there at all. So I started taking out some of the dead branches that were there, you know, They were, didn't take much to get them because they were already withered, and, uh, but I didn't think, I said, well, I'll try this, but I don't know what happens, and, you know, my thinking was, they were dead, so they, the flowers came back on these, uh, I mean, and they were beautiful, because they're just bright yellow and red flowers, it was beautiful. I said, wow, I thought this was dead, and it was almost like a resurrection. It came back to life. So what I remember taking pictures of, and I thought, yeah, this would be something to share with the church because we're talking about this fruit now. But one thing to note is for us to judge whether there's fruit in another person's life. We shouldn't do that. And and just like I thought, hey, this this plant is dead. I mean, literally, there's no life to it at all. And then for life to spring out of this dry, dead, I mean, it just looked like it should have been discarded, thrown away. But it it still had life. And you can't say how God is working and how a person will respond. You just can't say it. So we can't give up on one another when it comes to this. But it is true. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. It is true. and But we can't judge. God is the gardener. God the Father is the gardener. Let him judge. Let him cultivate that plant so it can do what it is supposed to do. So that, just to keep that in mind, is important for us to note. Hello. Hello. Thanks for joining. Appreciate that. So we're but we're going to quit because actually we are past our time and uh, we're going to have to move forward. But we, we're going to Continue next week with this thought. We'll finish up with this. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Where did the time go? I don't know. So we're going to continue next week. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of being called to this particular time in human history. And that where we can come and uh, that you have given us a role to play so that we can contribute to your plan that we can be a part of this eternal purpose that you have uh, that we can express and display the manifold wisdom of god thank you for the privilege the calling that we have received lord i pray for each person under the sound of my voice who uh, is a part of this as well. Give them confidence in their sonship and, and the inheritance that is ours in Christ. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. And we're going to close with our benediction and now unto him who is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forevermore, let the church say, Amen. Amen.
1: Amen.